0: TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Waslick, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill.
1: Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Waslick. I'm Dr. Yana James.
0: And I'm Dr. Brett Hill.
1: And this week we're talking about the subject of all subjects in the paleo world, uh, grains. So we know uh, from the first few episodes that we've done, we've talked about kind of the consequences of grains really briefly. And today we're going to really go into depth about, about this touchy subject for most people, but something that paleo people are quite passionate about. And uh, recently, we just saw that we had a new release in Australia of the new food pyramid, plate, whatever, <laughs> pie. I don't know what we're calling it these days. It's round. <laughs> um, but But historically, we've always had grains as a major, major, major part of our recommended diet from the government, from... Doctors, from friends and family, from you, may, you name it, industry. So today we're kind of going to dispel the myths that grains are an essential part of your diet. There is no such thing as a healthy whole grain, and we're kind of going to start with discussing what exactly about grains. Um, paleo people tend to disagree with so Brett's going to start us off with that today
0: yeah perfect and it is a touchy one isn't it because people are so used to getting told from their government from everyone around them you learn it at school you see the posters up at the dentist like everywhere you look everyone's like well yeah but healthy whole grains and and yeah the the latest release from the government was, was just a classic example of that so I guess, first of all, when we're talking about grains, we're talking about a whole range of different grains. So, you know, the one we speak about most is probably wheat, uh, and that probably is, you know, the the pick of the bad bunch. I know we interviewed William Davis recently, who wrote the book Wheat Belly, and he was saying, look, wheat is by far the worst of the grains in terms of the effect it has on your body. But we're also talking about a whole bunch of other grains and what we call pseudo-grains that are also having an effect too. So everything from, you know, rice, barley, amaranth, You know, spelt, oats, millet, buckwheat, quinoa, corn, like there's just, you know, there's a huge list of them. Um, And whilst they all have different effects on the body, they also um, have some common effects on the body that we're going to talk about as well. And so just
1: to quickly jump in, corn is a grain for all of you out there listening. You think it's a a vegetable? vegetable. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, because that's a, that's a big one and one that people often get confused. So, I guess the first point to start with here is people say, well, how can grains be unhealthy? Like, we've been eating them forever. Like The comment I hear all the time is, well, like the Egyptians were eating grains, so it must be good for us, right? And so, uh, you, you look back and we think, hey, those Egyptians, that was a long time ago, right? But when you think about it in terms of the body, in terms of evolution it was actually just a blip in the ocean ago. Right? We've been evolving over millions and millions of years, so when we look back just a couple of thousand years, that's actually not a significant amount of time in terms of our evolution. So you know, what we know is that you know, it, if we look back 100,000 years ago, our genes were, had very little differences between our genes then and our genes now. We haven't actually changed genetically a lot in that space of time. If we look at grains, well, it's really only been about the last 10,000 years we've been processing grains and... and having commercial agriculture and modern agriculture and eating them on a significant basis. So, you know, 10,000 years just isn't long enough for us to have been adapted and prepared to eat these grains. And I know Yana's going to talk about how the grains themselves have changed as well, which is further exacerbating this process. But once again, the idea that we need to have grains for health is is just not true. If you look at what's actually in the grains in terms of their nutrient profile, there is nothing in that grain that you can't get from eating a healthy, well-balanced paleo diet. Like, I mean absolutely nothing. And people are always shocked when I say that. But it's just true that there is, if you actually look at the nutrient profile, there's actually nothing there that you can't get.
1: And the nutrients that are in grains are found in greater abundance in other foods exactly. as well without all of the side effects. Well,
0: that, that's the next point I was going to make is that actually compared to the calories you get from the grains, the nutrient profile is actually pretty darn poor. So there's definitely better options you can get there. So the whole idea that we have to have grains in our diet is, is just flat out not true the idea that it should be the majority part of our diet or that we should, we should be having like 8 to 10 serves a day like the food pyramid suggested is, is quite frankly just ridiculous. I mean, I, I can't imagine someone trying to eat that diet and be healthy because it just <laughs> is not going to happen. Um, so, so I think we've got this idea then that hopefully you get the idea that we're not designed to eat grains. Certainly if you look back at our Paleolithic ancestors, they weren't eating grains um, and so I think perhaps Jana's going to go into a little bit about the specifics about why these grains aren't aren't actually good for us. You know, we know that we weren't designed to eat them, but what specifically do they do that's bad for us, I guess?
2: Yeah, definitely. And look, there is so many things, and I've learnt majority of this from William Davis's book, Wheat Belly. Um, the main thing, I guess, really is that modern wheat is pervasive in just about every processed food you get out there. Um, and it isn 't like it was the uh, The older versions of wheat are quite different to what we 've got now, so wheat used to be four to six foot tall above your head, and now it 's dwarf wheat, which is you know, a foot to two feet tall, it has a really thick stem and a big bushel of wheat. Now the reason they've done that is to try and speed up uh, the production time and also to get a bigger quantity or bigger quota of grain out of the same acreage of land. So someone started off with a really noble reason for doing this. It's not like when they were trying to create this new different dwarf wheat that they were setting out to be bad. They were doing it to try and help stem the hunger throughout the world like it was a really noble reason to do it but what they didn't realize is that grains in themselves are a bad source of you know calories and nutrients as we know um but apart from that it's actually had a flow-on effect in in all of our immune systems so the reason for that is that um Grains, especially the gluten in the grains, but there's there's a whole host of other proteins in grains that are not good for our gut. So, what those things do, so you know, I won't get into specifics, but things like phytates and lectins and amylopectin, all those things that I've learned about from wheat belly, they actually break down your gut lining. So, it's kind of like if you're building a brick wall and you've got the bricks and the mortar in between, those grains come along and they erode that mortar in between so that stuff can get through. So, you know, if you're in a brick house and you want to be protected from the outside world you've got that bricks and mortar you get rid of the mortar and that winds gonna rush through you're gonna get rain into the house and it's gonna be eroded so the same sort of thing happens to your gut lining and when that happens it means that things that are in your gut that should be maintained in your gut and go through your gut system from top to bottom and not actually get into your bloodstream can get into your bloodstream and so when that happens when things that aren't supposed to be in our bloodstream get into our bloodstream our body mounts an all-out defensive tactic of immune reaction right so that's where a lot of the autoimmune diseases are coming from is from things that shouldn't be getting into our bloodstream getting into our bloodstream and that's the direct result of those grains degrading that gut lining wall um, in addition to that carbs are a, a star, sorry grains are a starchy carbohydrate so there, there isn't actually any essential carbohydrates in our diet and in fact the the way that we get most of our carbohydrates should be from vegetables so it should be fiber the fibrous carbohydrates um, but there's no need for starchy carbohydrates and we're told a lot of the time that you need starchy carbohydrates for your glucose and for your energy and what's interesting is that if you actually don't eat any starches your liver will make glucose from protein So we don't actually need to consume it to keep our brain going with glucose, which is sort of what we're told. But our brain has three things that it can run on anyway. It doesn't just need glucose. It can run on ketones and it can run on lactic acid. So it's not essential that we have that glucose going into our system. Um, So the starches, the reason that they're not a good source of carbohydrate is because when they get into your system, and especially wheat, as soon as it hits your saliva in your mouth, it breaks down into glucose. It gets broken down into those really explosive um, glucose molecules that raise your blood sugar really really sharply and of course when our blood sugar raises sharply our body has to produce insulin to bring that back down Um, and the reason our body wants to bring our blood sugar back down is because high blood sugar is actually really damaging it's damaging for our blood vessels and our nerve endings which means that we're going to be developing some diseases and some inflammatory changes which aren't really good
0: and yeah, I know when we spoke to William Davis, he was saying that the reason he started looking at wheat in the first place was that was the number one most potent raiser of blood sugar, which which quite frankly, even for me, who'd done a lot of study in this area, I was quite astounded that that was the number one, the one thing that raised it the most. Yeah, even more than a candy
2: bar, yeah, more, than more than tomorrow's tomorrow Coke. Coke. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, He said two slices of whole wheat bread, so we're talking that healthy whole grains, raises your blood sugar faster than a can of Coke, which yeah definitely surprised me and it was one of my sort of harp on about it (laughs) tactics that probably didn't go down so well with a lot of people but knowing it for myself made my choices in what I was eating so much easier because especially for me my endocrine system's quite deranged Um, and I think you know there's a lot of people who perhaps will be listening to this in the same boat as I was of having had um, endocrine derangement so heading towards diabetes heading towards type 2 diabetes and I'm actually not convinced that I didn't actually reach type 2 diabetes because I was quite insulin resistant um, i started checking my blood sugar as soon as i read wheat belly because i thought it was really good to see what my blood sugar was doing and how well my body was handling these foods that get broken down in, in sugars and comparing my results to my husband's results was really eye-opening just seeing what my body does with these starches and so if there's anyone out there wondering about that i'd highly recommend you get yourself a blood sugar monitor they're not expensive they're under a hundred bucks and then you buy the strips. If you've got type two diabetes or type one diabetes, you can actually get a script from your GP. So, um, and, and just use that to, to check your blood sugar and see what's going on for you there. Um, wheat is also addictive, which is really interesting, right? So it actually acts like an opioid and makes your brain want more of it. And not only want more wheat, it makes you want more food in general because you've got that blood sugar spike and then you have a drop. And when your blood sugar drops rapidly, Your brain goes, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Give me more food and preferably make it something sweet and
1: glucosey." Ever wonder why they give you bread at the beginning of your meal at a restaurant? (laughs) Yep. It's so that you'll be hungry for dessert. Yeah. Because it it actually stimulates your appetite uh, a little ways down the road. So after you've eaten your meal and you're totally stuffed, then you start to get hungry again from that bread.
0: Yeah, and so the other thing we want to talk about in terms of the grains is I guess the acidity in our diet. And so what we know is that our modern diets are really acidic. So it's not just the grains, it's the grains, it's the sugars, it's the processed foods, the caffeines, the alcohols. But but the whole combination of that is really making our diets very acidic. And and grains are definitely playing a really big part in that. Particularly, like I said, if you're following that food pyramid and having 8 to 10 serves of grains a day, then it's playing a really big part in that. And so what we know about this acidity is that it is really stressful on your body. It tends to be inflammatory on your body. It's not good for your bones and your joints. Um, it tends to leach magnesium out of your muscles, which makes them constrict and get tight. So if you're getting muscle cramps and those sort of things, you want to be thinking about the acidity in your diet. But it's not just your skeletal muscles that it affects. It's also um, sorry, it's also your your organs, and your, your blood vessels, those sort of things. You know, Your blood vessels and your heart muscles are actually going to be constricting too. So we're talking about heart issues we're talking about high blood pressure you know so the magnesium is really important also when your body's acidic it's going to be stripping calcium out of your bones so having an acidic diet is actually going to leach calcium out of your bones and leave you vulnerable to having you know osteoporosis all those sort of things as well so so the acidity component of the grains is a really important thing to talk about too so one
1: one thing that i found really interesting in the literature when i was reading about grains is that really that grains have a protective coating on them that Jana talked about because their survival mechanism is to not be eaten or not to be digested sorry so when something eats them then they poop it out and they propagate and can grow grow more right so I think mice and birds last I checked are actually the only animals that can can process grains and I don't know if I'm 100% right on that but that's what I've that's what I seem to remember. So, of course, if this is something that we can't properly digest, we end up with many, many symptoms. And I think we can attest to all of the symptoms that we've had. Absolutely. Because um, we've, we've all cut out wheat uh, and grains of all kinds and kind of reintroduced them. So we can talk a little bit about all those symptoms.
0: Yeah, so the first one we're going to talk about is, I guess, the gas and bloating. And, uh, and for those of you who, particularly people, I guess, who've cut out grains and then reintroduced them at some stage, whether it was like deliberately or just a once-off or whatever it was, you, you'll often notice this gas and bloating effect that they can have. And certainly, you know, one of the things I've actually been doing recently, just as a bit of an experiment, is actually just measuring waste, my waist uh, circumference. Um, and it's a really interesting exercise just to sort of do that on a daily basis and see how much that actually changes depending on what you've eaten. Um, and there have been, throughout that period, there have been one or two times when I have had something that has had some grains in it. I know the paleo fans are going to be horrified, but but I have. And, uh, and to see the reaction of that straight afterwards and... And it's not just obviously the tape measure, it's the fact that I just feel bloated. Like I can feel my stomach feels full and uncomfortable and bloated. And so there's there's a really real and direct link there. And it's it's pretty quick. Like it it happens in a pretty short period of time. So if you're paying attention there, you're going to really quickly start noticing how you feel after you eat these grains. And gas and bloating is definitely one that you're going to notice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I... Bit of an overshare here, but my whole life was quite a gassy person. Um, used to be like a set of bad parts when my grandparents and aunties would hug me goodbye. Um, and I thought that was quite normal, right? But it actually isn't. It's not normal to burp or fart. We kind of think it is because everyone does it. But if you're not having those grains, your gut flora are much happier. And so what it actually is when you're burping and farting is gut flora that are not good actually... Um, fermenting foods and giving off gas so if you're not having those things that they can ferment and turn into sugars then you don't get that which is really fascinating and really kind of nice especially as a female to not be worrying about that sort of thing um and you know to brett talking about the bloating that's definitely something that i feel and, and for me i used to think the sensation of bloating was actually what full felt like um i don't know if i made that clear but now i realize if i do have something that's got grains in it that actually that's a revolting sensation and I'm not full of food. I'm full of of inflammation and grossness. And for me, it happens really, really quickly. Like when I had a piece of pizza, because I was kind of, you know, that was my my, um, downfall. Seriously, before it even hit my stomach, while I was still chewing it, I felt revolting. And by the time that first piece had hit my stomach, like
1: two minutes, I felt like I'd been kicked in the gut. I was feeling seriously bruised. And it's interesting what happens. So, I mean, these are foods we've eaten our whole lives. We've yeah. eaten, grown up eating toast and cereal for breakfast, sandwiches for lunch, and pasta for dinner. This is just how we normally thought we were supposed to be. And I always thought that, like Yana said, that bloating was just that I had overeaten. But now that I've I've switched and taken those things out of my diet, you definitely notice that those things are not normal. I don't feel that way at the end of a paleo meal.
0: Yeah, and for so many people, that just creeps up on you, right? That you've actually just been doing this, you've been eating that way for such a long period of time that you don't even realize that it's different. You're like, well, I'm not one of those people. Like, I don't have gas or bloating or whatever. And for so many people, and we see this in our practice all the time, that people, once they start making those changes, it's like all of a sudden they go, ah, (laughs) like, that's what it's supposed to be like. And so it's, it's not until you actually stop doing it that you realize what it's supposed to be like, that you actually realize the way you were wasn't normal.
1: And I think another thing that I'd love to talk about is the moods that yeah. grains can kind of cause. Um, speaking the same thing, yeah, yeah just, just like my wife. <laughs> like Jana said, you know, uh, I won't tell you how recently, but I indulged in some pizza, <laughs> and my partner Ryan and I were kind of the next day. We were so grumpy. And it was shocking. We don't spend a lot of time together. So it was, it was really a horrible day. We wasted it, you know, getting mad at each other. And every time <laughs> we would fight, it would be like, oh, I'm so sorry. It was just the gluten talking. We're never going to do that again. This is the <laughs> worst day ever. And, and that was probably the first time that I really realized the drastic effect it had on my moods. I mean, these guys know I'm generally a really happy person, but yeah. it's possible that they've only known me as a wheat-free, <laughs> brain-free person. So um, so it's really interesting to see how, how that changes.
2: Yeah. And for me, definitely, I have um, teary days. I, I call them. I don't know that it's full-blown depression, but whenever I have wheat, things that wouldn't normally make me teary and upset really I spend you know um half of my day with a tissue just just weeping and it's really it's bad I mean there's there's, the, the things that I'm crying about aren't insignificant they're significant things but on most days I'm able to compose myself and just run through the emotions and and let it go instead of getting all caught up in it um and I definitely notice the the grumpy thing and the argumentative side of things and that actually now i didn't realize happens when i have sugar too and i didn't realize that i thought it was just the grains when i cut out wheat so much changed for me i thought wheat was the main evil and that's all i needed to stay away from and now i'm seeing that that's actually the case with quite a few things
0: yeah i absolutely agree and and i think the same thing often it's it's not just the wheat it can be the sugar or even just a, a slightly higher carbohydrate diet like it could be even just lots of fruit and vegetables sometimes but Um, The other thing, I guess, that goes hand in hand with the moods, for me anyway, is certainly the fatigue. Mm. And so I find that if I have particularly a really sort of wheaty, grainy meal, um, that it tends to give you a real spike in energy. You know, we spoke about that spike in the blood sugar levels, so it, it spikes that up, you get this instant, you know, energy. But it doesn't last very long. Like literally, I'll be like an hour or two later, like flaking out on the couch, wanting to have a midday nap, wanting to fall asleep. Um, So it definitely affects my energy level. So, you know, there's this whole, I mean, this is the classic, right? How often do we see this with the breakfast cereal ads, right? And it's like full of energy for your kids, you know? And it's just ridiculous because what we know is that yeah they're going to be like manic when they get to school and then an hour later they're going to be wanting to pass out and fall asleep. So don't think you're doing your kids any favors by giving them all this energy in the I'm putting inverted commas there you can't see that but I am (laughs) by putting all this energy in their breakfast cereals.
2: Yeah, and look, I think that's a really important point, and adding that to the mood stuff. If you've got a child who's having difficulties concentrating at school, or who's getting in trouble, or being put up the front of the class, or put out into the whole really look at what their diet is like and what their wheat's like just before we move on talking about the fatigue what I I definitely notice the fatigue but the other thing that I thought was actually me being tired was really dry eyes and so I would say to people all the time if I could walk around during my day with my eyes closed and not have to open my eyes I'd be fine but I do not have the energy to have my eyes open I feel tired and once I cut the wheat out that disappeared The other thing that I used to get was skin rashes and itchiness and all of that cleared up when I got rid of the wheat. That was skin tags and warts and that sort of thing just disappeared because my body wasn't being fueled in a negative way by those uh, grains.
0: Yeah, so we might go into in a sec how that affects that inflammatory response. Before we do that, I just was going to say, you know, we've mentioned earlier the Eat Like a Dinosaur cookbook. And in the introduction to that, there's just a really great story about how their kids changed in terms of their concentration at school and their energies and their moods. And it's just a really good, I guess, case study example of how that can change and how that can affect your kids. Because, you know, for me, you know, I've seen it with my kids. We brought them up on a really healthy, clean paleo diet and... You wouldn't believe the amount of times people actually comment on our kids like, wow, your kids are really like settled or they just look really, like, seem really healthy or they're not getting sick all the time. And, and I'm sure a large part of that is having this really healthy paleo grain free diet too.
1: And you can extrapolate that not just with little kids as well, but if you're looking at, you know, teenagers and university students studying for exams, like what is the one the one or five things that you go to, you tend to eat pasta, which is really cheap. You tend to eat two-minute pizza, noodles? <laughs> noodles, exactly. But those things are really not going to help you study for your exams. They're not going to help you um, stay awake during your exam or your classes. And you tend to get that, like they said, the problems with fatigue and concentration. And that even goes right into the workforce as well. So we talked in a few episodes past about, um, you know, those those crashes that you have during the day as well and i was one of them i would have all sorts of energy and mood and um shaky (laughs) crashes throughout the day and that really does go away without the wheat and well grains sorry so yeah i thought to speak specifically
0: about the inflammatory effects of the grains
2: yeah um so Actually, could you talk about it? I've been thinking about something else that I wanted to say.
0: So, <laughs> absolutely. So, look, yeah. Obviously, we, we do know that these grains can be really inflammatory, and I think it's often understated in terms of what sort of effects that can have on our body. Because you know, people think of inflammation and they think of maybe like a swollen joint or something like that, right? But but it can be a whole range of other conditions. Like, there's so many conditions that go on throughout our body that are linked to inflammation, and, and many of them are these these uh, autoimmune diseases and um, you know, even things like asthma, even things like um, you know lupus, and, you know all sorts of weird and wonderful diseases yes. linked in rheumatoid yeah.
1: arthritis, MS, Crohn's.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the common theme amongst many of these uh, chronic diseases is inflammation and that inflammatory response. And so once you understand just how big a role these grains play in that inflammatory response then you start to think well hey hang on we've got to you know we've got to take a serious look at this and maybe maybe they're not the essential things that we need to have in our diet yeah
1: so um just kind of moving on a little bit so we've talked about how grains are not so good for you but you know we have to admit a little bit that when you do cut out the grains it's not all rosy at first um, there are some withdrawal symptoms yana mentioned earlier that you do have an addictive property in these grains. And so going off of the grains, you tend to have similar withdrawal symptoms that you would with cigarettes, other um, other drugs, sugar. Yana, um, do you want to talk about some withdrawal symptoms a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think definitely, um, well, for me, it was more just moodiness when I was getting off the grains and the sugars and those intense cravings and not being able to actually think around it and and find ways of avoiding it. Um, Luckily, I disposed of everything in my house, so I didn't have that to fall back on. Um, I think I know a lot of people are are doing this on their own, the rest of the family still having this stuff, and I think if it was in my pantry, I would be in dire straits. Um, Definitely, um, I suppose all of the things that I now notice when I go back and have some wheats, I am at a wedding and there's no choice, or what have you, and I have that wheat, the symptoms that I get now, I think, sort of fitted with the withdrawal symptoms that I was getting. So that moodiness, the, the itchiness as I was coming off it. And especially for me, I think as I was detoxing and it was getting out of my system and all of those um, inflammatory things were, were, were being um, consumed, burnt and excreted by my body, I went through a lot of stuff with that.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I remember distinctly one of the interviews we did on the Guys show with Rob Wolfe and he was talking about someone getting off of the grains. And, and he actually had someone who'd been a recovering drug yeah. addict... And they found it harder to get off the grains and they had to get off the drugs, which yeah. was just crazy. That was a real eye-opener. And, you know, I think the hardest thing when you're trying to get off the grains is the first thing you do is you, you you look at like all the recipes you've got, all the meals you cook every day of the week, and you think, holy cow, what do I eat now? Like, you know, I've been used to having this cereal for breakfast every single morning. Now I can't have that. I've been used to having a sandwich for lunch every day. Now I can't have that. I've been used to having pizza and pasta for dinner. I can't have that. And you think oh my god, Like, what's left? What can I actually eat? And it's not until you start actually getting into this process, you start finding some resources, finding some recipes, that you realize that you're actually creating a much bigger range of stuff that you can eat. Like... It's actually, instead of being like, oh my God, it's so boring, I can only eat this stuff. It's actually, wow, I'm opening myself up to a whole huge range of possibilities. Now, instead of having the same breakfast cereal every single morning, I've got like a hundred different recipes I can cook for all different, fun, exciting recipes for breakfast. You know, instead of having the same sandwich for lunch every day, I'm having completely different meals all the time. And, and you even find that you change what you consider to be those meals. like stuff that you would never have thought of before as being a breakfast meal all of a sudden you can eat that at any time of the day and it doesn't really matter
2: yeah i can't tell you how many recipe books i got rid of probably only a year ago and that's when i really realized how much wheat was in my diet that i didn't actually even consider i pulled out these books i'm like oh well that one's got to go and that one's got to go and that one's got to go and it really just fills you in on how how invasive wheat has become in our culture and in our our cooking pretty Um, much any vegetarian cookbook because it's all greens yeah (laughs) greenitarians getting back to what brett was saying you know i'm i'm really lucky that my mum always did sort of more odd things for breakfast love your mum but um you know there wasn't many people i went to school with that were having lamb chops and eggs for breakfast Uh um so for me it wasn't too much of a transition for me to start eating more dinner type meals for breakfast i'm doing air quotes too now brett what's with that (laughs) um but i know for my husband luke he always had cereals for breakfast cereals toast and a milo was his breakfast wheat wheat and wheat um (laughs) And so for him to change around, it took a little bit of getting used to. But I think when I did the anti-candida diet, that was the main thing that made a difference was me not getting hung up on what sort of foods we're eating at what times of the day.
0: And so I guess before we sort of sign off on this episode, it's really important we, we start talking to you a little bit about like what are the alternatives, right? Because we just said what you can't do. So, what we're going to do now is talk about what you can do, and I know Steph's got some awesome ideas for that.
1: I've got a list here, so just bear with me and uh, and get out your pen and paper, because these are what really saved me kind of in the transition period. So, I started with breakfast. That was when I noticed all of my changes was, was with, well, I guess not all of my changes, but the most significant ones with breakfast. So, um, like Jana said, you know, dinner foods for breakfast are always good, but Even just smoothies or uh, having quiches and stuff like that that you can make ahead of time because not everyone has time to cook a big elaborate breakfast, some people do, but things, uh, things that you can have in your fridge. So this morning I made a smoothie with spinach and almond milk and I think there was celery in there, some fruit, I can't remember all the ingredients, but I made enough for two days so it's in my fridge. That's grab and go, that's really easy. And um, and then when you have a little more time or maybe when you've kind of experienced paleo a little more, there are alternatives to muffins and pancakes and things like that that you can use more, do in more paleo versions.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to understand as well that, and we'll talk about this more in later episodes when we talk about sugar and those sort of things, but... You know, these alternate versions, you know, you don't want to be cooking that sort of stuff all the time, right? Because if you find that you're baking stuff and trying to replace the muffins and the pizza and the pancakes and stuff all the time, you're actually gonna be yeah, sure, you'll be getting rid of the gluten, but you're still gonna be having lots of processed carbohydrates in your diet. So so what you really wanna do is focus less on replacing those things and more on just finding new real foods to eat. And so it's just, it's really simple, isn't it? It's like the old-fashioned meat and three veg kind of thing, you know? It's like a simple omelette with some salad or a steak with some salad or, you know, just really simple stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so Luke and I, um, eggs is one of the biggest things we eat for breakfast and we go through about 30 eggs for the two of us a week. Um, But we keep it really interesting by most mornings, just having scrambled eggs, no water, no, you know, obviously no milk. Just scrambling that up and chucking it in the pan with some coconut oil. But every so often, we'll do something different with that. So, chuck in a handful of desiccated coconut, which sounds weird, but it's awesome. Some chilli and ginger, or some garlic, or um, some mustard, or you know, just, just slightly different things to make it a bit more interesting each time around. And then you don't get sick of the same thing all the time.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, we just had one recently which was from the Make It Paleo cookbook and it was like a tomato with a with an egg on top um, and then it had some um, guacamole on that and a little bit of a sprinkle yeah. bacon on top and it is seriously so good. So if you want something, just check that out, it's delicious. The thing
1: nice. is though, those tend to be weekend meals for most people. Most yeah, yeah. people are trying to get their kids out the door and... They want more more practical solutions, but um, so that's why you got to stick with things that you can prepare ahead of time that take a few minutes. Gianna's scrambled eggs are excellent; yeah, they set say. you up with protein for the day. Um, and then you can definitely do lots of experimenting on the weekends and make things ahead. Um, one one thing, we both kind of, Jana and I talked about pizza this week, and one of my traditions had always been pizza and a movie. Well, not my tradition, Ryan's family's tradition. But we decided that was really not working for us anymore, and we had to just swap it for something else. And... This is so we ended up swapping it for curry in a movie night. So we make homemade Thai curry, which is essential. Well, it is paleo because I make it, but um, it's essentially all delicious mostly from my garden ingredients and that's something you can think about not just with one simple tradition but with all sorts of other aspects try and swap it for something different so that you have a go-to food when you're craving that pizza or you're craving that whatever have something that is a satisfying alternative for you and that kind of leads us to some options you can do in restaurants so when you go to a restaurant all you have to do is ask Restaurants are happy to to help you out. I've been recently, my newest favorite thing is ordering any kind of burger, but without the bun. And you get all these delicious toppings and a salad on the side. It's absolutely delicious. But something really important to think about is Yana said, you know, when you go to a wedding and you don't have other options. But the thing is, you do have to kind of prepare a little bit ahead of time. So if you know that you're going to a wedding and you know that the bride and groom are granitarians, then you need to prepare ahead of time and make sure that you have a satiating lunch or that you will have options there that you can pick. You don't have to rely on your willpower if you're satisfied before you get to a restaurant or a wedding or an event.
0: Yeah. And the cool thing about that is that the further you get into the paleo diet, then the more you're going to find you're actually just not as hungry because you're satiating yourself with good fats and proteins. Um, and you're also going to find that you're not so uh, like manic, you don't have the same cravings. You know, you're actually going to be okay with saying, you know what, there's not any great choices here. I'm just going to eat a little bit of this, which is okay. And you know, I'll eat more later on or I'll just skip a meal or whatever. Like, and we'll talk about that certainly in later episodes as well. Yeah.
2: Sorry. I just want to jump in really quickly. Um, I do want to point out, though, that we're talking about gluten in wheat, and that you know we that that's one of the bad factors of wheat. I don't want people jumping ship and having gluten-free stuff that's out there because most gluten-free stuff is full of sugar. But apart from that, the types of flour they use to replace the wheat and the gluten, uh, things like potato starch, corn starch, tapioca starch, and all of those actually raise your blood sugar even higher, especially because they're usually quite refined and quite processed. And we were talking earlier about inflammation and. And sugar is definitely a leading cause of inflammation in the in the body and in the blood vessels and contributed to that atherosclerosis or the hardening of the arteries. So don't go for the gluten-free products out there. Just go for real food.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's what we love about the paleo lifestyle. It's clean food. It's not a diet. You don't have to go out and drink all these shakes. You don't have to... Eat all this food from a package from count your calories. Yeah, no Gosh. calorie counting. It's just eating real food. And as you can tell, we're really passionate about this subject, which is why we've gone over time on this episode. Um I, I think that this is probably our our most heated debate well it's not even a debate we all agree <laughs> but our most heated topic so unfortunately we're gonna have to wrap that up for now but do expect in the future after this 12 part introduction is over we will address more specific um problems or issues in the grain world arena, yeah, arena.
2: feel free to post us questions if you've got more clarification that you
1: want from this episode and we'll address it later on Absolutely. So until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story, and help us grow the Paleo Tribe worldwide.
0: This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Damien Christoph from The Wellness Guys here. Wow, it's been electric since our first summit came to a close up on the Gold Coast. And the wellness community wants more. Well, get ready because our next summit is coming to Melbourne and we'd love to have you come. The Wellness Guys will be there, plus effervescent up for a chat girl, Cindy Omura, Kim Morrison and Karen Smith and some super special guests. It'll be 10 hours of
1: powerhouse wellness that you don't want to miss. Simply go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. See you there.